0: Hello, welcome to Women in the Word, glad to have you back, so good to be with you all. I'm Lynn Kitchens and I'm part of the teaching team, love being here. We're heading back into the wilderness because those Israelites always have something to teach us and we can also learn some great things about God when we do that and the passages we studied today made me think a lot about servanthood and Israel gets some high marks in these chapters, and I'm excited about it because some things are going to go downhill from here. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) I want us to talk about servanthood and first the foundation of servanthood. And um, I was thinking, I bet you've never heard Bob Dylan quoted in a women's Bible study. (laughs) I like this one song he sings, the one line in it, where he says, You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And he's right. If we're not serving Christ, it means the world is our master. And we unknowingly are hurting the cause of Christ. Look on your verse sheet at the the first two verses, Matthew and Galatians. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters Galatians Paul says for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ and I think you would not be in this room today if you didn't know that if you hadn't chosen to dedicate your life to be someone who follows Christ and you share the cause of Christ so look at Colossians verse Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Hopefully all of us daily determined to approach what we do each day as servants of Christ. We're like the wave offering. That Israel made to God, we are waving to God and saying, here, Lord, I'm yours, what will you have me do? That's our wave offering. It may be small, it may be big, but every act of servanthood brings spiritual rewards with it, rewards like worship and purpose and joy. There's another song I like a line out of. This is a popular Christian song, and it has this line. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I think what that means is we build a life of servanthood based on the foundation of God's great love for us. It means we understand that a love as great as God deserves and even demands a response from us in how we choose to live out our lives. I've shared before I was 15 when I came to Christ. I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I was on a retreat and I got back on the bus and I can remember where I was sitting before the bus took off. I can remember the window I was looking out of and I thought to myself looking out the window finally understanding for the first time the great love of God. And I thought to myself, everything looks pretty different. In fact, my life has to be different. I have to quit living for self. And I need to redirect my life to living for Christ, to serve Him. We build our lives on His love One brick of service after another and all the while without us knowing it we are getting stronger, we are growing spiritually, we're healthier, we're happier because we begin to recognize that we were created to serve our creator. That's why we find our joy when we do that. He meets us there in our servanthood. He fulfills us there. He blesses us there. If we decide to live a life serving ourselves or trying to please man, we will never feel complete because we are God's. We belong to God. Look at what Acts 17 says. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. If we're his offspring, that's where we're going to find satisfaction in our lives in serving him. Now chapter 7 begins by pointing back to a month earlier. When uh, the tabernacle had just been completed and now it was being dedicated to God. So I wanted us just to look real quickly at another picture of the tabernacle, just to remind us wow, it was beautiful, but it was mostly beautiful because God's glory rested in the tabernacle. And the people themselves gave their time, their, their treasures, their labor to build this tabernacle. Look at these ornately stitched curtains, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, the covenant, the the Ark of the Covenant on this farther left side that held the Ten Commandments in a jar of manna and the mercy seat on top of it, a bronze basin, the altar of burnt offerings, the courtyard, which was created with silver and gold and bronze, and the fine embroidered linens, and all the beautiful bowls and plates and dishes made of pure gold. And look at the curtain that separates the two parts of the tabernacle, the larger part being the holy place, and then the curtain, which was gorgeous into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat was and only the high priest could go into that area and we know that this is the veil that was torn in half with Jesus, our true high priest, and his death on the cross because he and his death tore that apart so that we could have access to God. He is our high priest. So this tabernacle pointed to our coming savior and now it's finished. It was about a year after Israel came out of Egypt. So then Moses is going to obey God. He anointed all the tabernacle with oil. He even anointed Aaron and his sons with oil so they could do their priestly duties. And then Exodus tells us a cloud came down and covered this tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Look at Exodus. On your verse sheet. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine stepping out of your tent in the morning and you're going to stretch well and you look out and there's the presence of God right before you to see the glory of the Lord Right before you, you're witnessing it. And we would like to think our faith would be stronger if we could see things like that. If we could see that God is right there with us. You know, I had lunch with a friend many years ago and she was real excited about pursuing God through experiences, things she could touch and see, and she said to me, Now I know that God is real. Now I know that God loves me because she could see. But we're gonna see that that doesn't always mean anything. Because look at what the Israelites saw every day, and yet they would turn away from the one true living God, seeing his presence every single day. Thomas didn't believe Jesus resurrected from the dead until he got his eyes on him face to face, and Jesus had some thoughts on that. In John 29, Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed now because you see me? How blessed are those who don't see me and yet will believe in me. That's called faith servanthood for Jesus is strengthened not by what we see by what but by what we know our service is strengthened in the promises of God our faith in that how well would we serve God if our opinions of God changed every single day according to what our circumstances were how well would we serve him but if i believe what God has to say about himself in the word what he has to say about Me in the Word, then I would move forward as a servant regardless of my experiences, regardless of my circumstances. And the time had come for Israel to do that very thing. And we're going to see them serve God first through obedience. They're moving towards the promised land by obediently dedicating the tabernacle to God. And we learned last week that it would be the Levites that would transport the tabernacle. And so the chiefs of every tribe brought things to help the Levites transport the tabernacle. We met these leaders in chapter 1, but let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. On the day when Moses had finished the setting up of the tabernacle and anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings, and anointed and consecrated the altar with its utensils, the chiefs of Israel, the heads of the father's houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord. Six wagons, 12 oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, and one each one for an ox. They brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, accept these from them that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. We notice here that the Merarites needed more carts than the Gershonites because God had assigned them to carry the heavy wood and the heavy metal framework of the tabernacle. And we notice later reading further that the sons of Koath. Who were also Levites, they didn't receive any carts and oxen because remember, they're to carry holy objects on their shoulders when they transport parts of the tabernacle. But the people had more to give, and a chief named Nishan led the charge. Look at verse 10. And the chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed, offered their offerings before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the dedication of the altar. He who offered his offering the first day was Nishan, the son of Abimadab of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One gold dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Nishan, the son of Abimadan. Okay, so should we read every single one again through this whole chapter? (laughs) I will not be able to say those names. Twelve days in a row, just as God commanded, Israel obediently brought their offerings, the chief of the tribes, before the tabernacle. That silver plate today would cost about $600. The silver basin, about $300. The gold dish, between four dollars and $5,000. These were expensive. These were extravagant. And the tabernacle became ready for ministry through the gifts of God's servants. And I read this and think, what in the world does this have to do with me today? Everything. It's our first truth to take home. When we use the gifts God's given us, ministry is accomplished in the church. Not only giving our tithes or offerings, which is important, but presenting our servants' hearts, having a servant's attitude, having servant's hands. And as each chief brought these generous gifts to God, he got that wonderful feeling of being used by God. Don't you all know what I'm talking about? When God uses you for something, you just think, wow, I mean, I can't believe it. It's so fun to serve God. That chief knew that there was something so much bigger than himself and that's why he got to feel the joy of giving you know a lot of people will say you've probably heard people say this you know I love God but I don't really need church I can worship God apart from church and I always say yeah that may be true but the church needs you you've been given gifts to build the church for the health of the church so the church needs you here We're all given these gifts. They're all equally important. Our gifts are treasures of great value for the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what does it feel like when a whole body is obediently serving Christ like that? I just thought about the tribes and thought, what were they feeling when they would say to someone, today our tribe's taking the offering. <laughs> our tribe goes today. And then maybe they got together, friends got together and said, hey, did your chief take, uh, Chief Eliza take the offering yesterday? How'd that go? We go today. <laughs> yeah, Alicia taking our offering We're all taking the same things to the same God. Millions of people becoming one because of their service. Unity would be the result of serving, unity leads to maturity. That's what God does with servanthood. So serving alongside others brings that unity and maturity to the body of Christ. Look at what Ephesians says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ you know just recently at the church we had 700 people sign up to serve God by making those little rice packs of food in the oak and Gosh, it was such a time of energy, such a time of joy, everyone making the exact same things together to give to the needy. And every volunteer, this was the best part, had to wear a hairnet. (laughs) So there were hundreds of people wearing hairnets, except me. I somehow came in the wrong door and went to the end of the line and missed out the passing of the hairnets. And when I realized that I was like hiding in a corner, I was so disappointed not to wear a hairnet. (laughs) None of that would have been accomplished if people didn't decide they want to serve God. None of that. We also serve God through sacrifice. The Israelites sacrificed both their treasures and their hearts to God. They weren't just sacrificing things when you think about it. They were sacrificing their time, their priorities, their desires, their control. They were all submitting to the purposes and to the plans of God. Remember the movie Ten Commandments? How many of you saw that? If you haven't, it's fun. If you're too young, go back and see it. Remember when Charlton Heston was Moses and he invented big hair? (laughs) He had a bouffant hairdo. And little Edward G. Robinson was Moses' thorn in his flesh and a great troublemaker, and he was this constant, irritating voice pushing against Moses which meant he was pushing against the plans of God. Why should we listen to Moses? Let's go back to Egypt. Remember the great food we ate. Let's do what we want to do. And you know Israel had to feel like that a lot. There were probably a lot of little Edward G. Robinsons running around whispering those things in each other's ears and exaggerating how great life was in Egypt where they were slaves. But somehow they began to think we had our own lives there. What if a woman in the tribe of Judah was asked for a gold ring she owned and they said, you know, we're going to melt this down. We're going to make that big gold plate for the incense. What if she answered, oh, I'm passing this gold ring on down to my daughter and she'll pass it on to her daughter. I mean, that's my plan. She would have missed out. She would have missed out on the blessing of serving God through sacrifice. But that wasn't happening here. Instead, everybody was giving their gold, giving their silver, giving their goats. Whatever they could, Israel's actions demonstrated that they had a willingness to align their will with the will of God. Servanthood means sacrifice. That's a truth for us to take home. You know, we begin our journey to the promised land by submitting to the plans of God as well. He has a land of promises waiting for us. It's called the abundant life. That's what's there for us, but we cannot find our way to that land if we're holding tightly to our own map, our own plans, our own uh, program that we've created for our life. We are called to sacrifice our agenda for God's greater one. Look at Luke 9. And Jesus said to all, come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we have to, at least I have to do this, redirect my life every day to consider what would be the desires of God today. Being willing to set aside a a fun to-do list that I made if that's what I need to do for God's plans. That is when we enter a land full of the promises of God. You know, a couple summers ago, Ted and our family got to be in Georgia at Sea Island. We were on a beach. And all at once, up comes a sorority of beautiful young girls And they set up camp not too far away from us. And so we're watching these girls, you know, having fun. And out of the bushes and the sand dunes comes a drone. Where do you think the drone went? Did it go to my family? (laughs) I thought, those guys, whoever's behind that drone, they're ingenious. I mean, you can't come up on the beach. Not only was it a sorority, it was a sorority in bikinis. They couldn't go up and just goggle and stand there and stare at him, but the drone could do the job for him. That drone stayed there, I don't know, half the day, moving from person to person. (laughs) They couldn't reach it. They couldn't get to it. if we had a drone hovering over Israel at this time, Taking pictures of these offerings being brought to the tabernacle. Each day we would be witnessing great things happening, obedience in action sacrifice in action. People running, people walking, people pushing and pulling animals. We'd be hearing the animals. They'd be carrying treasures. We would be above looking from a drone and see the flash and shimmer of gold and silver. The people were moving sacrifices for God, and they were one. And seeing this from above, We would learn this is what God desires from the body of Christ. Wonderful treasures are created in God's kingdom through sacrificial servants, and that is called ministry. The treasure we bring is ministry, it's moving, it's bright, it's alive. Ministry happens when we're generous with our hands. And with our hearts. I was thinking about this very room. Ministry happening right now as you're together and God's word is open. Did you know someone comes in every week and replaces as a volunteer all the pens and the cards? And other people volunteer and stand at those doors and greet. And someone else volunteers and makes a flower arrangement Someone else volunteers and sits at the cameras so it can go out. Some other people volunteer and come and clean up because it kind of looks like a mess when Sunday's over. And then ministry happens because of their sacrifice. Israel got to witness the very presence of God in their midst. We can too when we're sacrificial. We also serve God through sanctification Numbers 8, verse 1 now the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to Aaron and say to him when you set up the lamps the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand and Aaron did so he set up its lamps in front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses and this was the workmanship of the lampstand hammered work of gold from its base to its flowers it was hammered work according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses so he made the lampstand so now our attention is going to turn from the Levites to the priests, uh, who are also Levites, but the priests, Aaron and his sons. And as part of the dedication of this wonderful tabernacle, the seven lampstands, lamps of the lampstand were lit. The priests were to light it. This was the first time Aaron and his sons heard this, that they were to be the ones to light this. So I have a picture of it, hopefully, of the... Golden lampstand. Okay, so there's a lot of what it looked like, and uh, it's so pretty. You can tell. Inside each of those bowls is where there would be oil poured and then little wicks placed so that they could light those lamps. Seven lamps on the lampstand. Each lamp had six branches with flowers. On each lampstand were the oil bowls. And did you notice they were to be set up so that the light would be cast forward and light up the area in front of them? It would have been a beautiful sight to see. But I think what God had in mind was that the lit lampstand would remind the priests I have called you, Israel, to be a light to the nations. Look at Isaiah 49. God said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And Israel would need to follow God closely to keep that light of salvation ever before them, to be a light to the nations. They would have to be set apart from other nations if they were going to do that. And then the tribe of Levi is specifically set apart for a special calling from God. They were the official clergy of the camp. They were to serve the priests, and they were to maintain the tabernacle. They were to move it, set it up, care for it. But in order for them to be in contact with such holy things in the tabernacle, the Levites had to be cleansed. So let's look at verse 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them. Let them go with the razor on their body and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. Then let them take a bull from the herd and its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and take another bull from the herd for a sin offering You shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. When you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel that they may do the service of the Lord." Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the head of the bulls. You shall offer the one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall set the Levites before Aaron and his sons and offer them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after that, the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, when you've cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering. Okay, it's, I always, when I used to read these, pictured about 12 men standing there. 22,000 Levites were being cleansed to serve God. And first we witness their outer purification, cleansed by water. The priests were cleansed entirely, the Levites are sprinkled by water. Then for more cleansing, they're to shave or trim their bodies. They're to wash their clothes because the Levites were dedicated to God as a firstborn child. Remember, the Levites were substitutes for the firstborn of Israel because God had spared Israel's children during that last plague of death in Egypt when the Egyptians' firstborn died. And so he saw the Levites as the firstborn of Israel. I love this sight that all the people came and laid their hands on the Levites. This was a sign that they were investing the Levites with their authority to represent them before the Lord in the work of the Lord. And Aaron would have stood tall in the middle of them, And offered the Levites to the Lord as a wave offering for all the people, for them to do the service of the Lord. So we think, what is a wave offering? You know how when you want to give someone something, you're you're holding it out, you're you're doing this, you're pointing. That's really what a wave offering was. If they were offering a grain offering, they would kind of wave it before the Lord. Hey, this is yours. If it was some kind of a burnt offering, they would wave it over the altar. This is God's. Now, I don't think they could lift 22,000 Levites and wave them before God, but I think they probably held their hands up around the Levites and said, they're yours. They're going to do your work and serve in your dwelling place, the tabernacle. That's a wave offering. Here, Lord, this is yours. Now it was time for inward cleansing, and so the Levites placed their hands on the heads of two bulls, which they were transferring the guilt of their sins on these sacrificial animals. Look at verse 20. Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel to the Levites. According to all the Lord commanded, Moses concerning the Levites, the people of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses, concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So they're cleansed, they're purified, they're set apart, so now was the time for the Levites to get to work. And now is the time for us to get to work. Serving God. You know, isn't it easy to think, I'm going to help with that or do that? After I finish this, or after I feel better, or after this trial is gone, or one day, or when life slows down, but each of us, from the moment we come to know Christ, we become his servants. And he expects us to serve him in so many different ways, the little and the small, from that time on. Sanctification means we were set apart, we were cleansed, we were washed, we were made holy. And our cleansing doesn't happen by the sprinkling of water. Our cleansing happened, we were washed by the blood of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. It starts by saying, Such were some of you. They were listing all the sinful things we do. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We are set apart and cleansed to be the light of Christ in a dark world. We are the lampstand in the tabernacle. We are the light on the hill. And our lights are supposed to go forward, shining out into the world so they can see it, so they can see God. He is the light of the world, and us behaving that way points people up to Him. We are to inwardly and outwardly live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this thought, too. Our authority doesn't come just from people laying hands on us. Our authority comes from God. God's spirit has set his hand upon us so we can get to work reflecting him. God's spirit. And as we respond to this love and this power and this indwelling, we are an offering to him for our entire lives. We present ourselves as a sacrifice of servanthood, as the Levites did. Now, we also serve God through prayer. At the completion of the tabernacle, God said, okay, he commanded that they would celebrate Passover. This took place the first month of the second year. So this is before the census we read about in chapter 1. This happened before that. I want to just briefly remind everyone, remember when Israel was still in Egypt, they were enslaved, God had sent all those plagues to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians so that they would let his people go, and the last plague would mean death for the firstborn in Egypt. But God instructed Israel, you get an unblemished lamb. You kill that lamb at twilight. And then you take that blood in a basin and get a hyssop branch. And you dip that branch in that blood and go outside to your front door. And you put some on one side of the doorpost and some blood on the other and some blood on the lintel at the top. And then you go in your house and you eat that lamb and you eat it quickly. That night, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, including animals, they were judged by God, and they all died. But the home that had blood on the doorway meant that death would pass over, which is where we get the word, the Passover. And so Israel uh, was to celebrate this Passover as a memorial day. And, of course, we all know Jesus was the unblemished, sacrificial Passover lamb. We can even see that when we recognize he shed his blood on the cross. One spot here, one spot here, with the crown on his head. You know, it was definitely a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when you looked at the front door of the people of Israel. And because... We've accepted him into our hearts. We have that blood on our hearts and death will pass over us. We have an eternal life awaiting us with Jesus Christ our Savior. And we should never forget that grace in our life. And God doesn't want Israel to forget the grace he showed them that night as well. Look at chapter 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they'd come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel they should keep the Passover and they kept it in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so they couldn't keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we're unclean. To touching a dead body. But why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Don't you love Moses' response here? You know, this big leader, he could have began to pontificate all his thoughts about what they should do. He could have got quiet cuz he was intimidated by this hard question. He could have made up an answer as somebody else. He wasn't complacent though about their plight. He goes to God expectantly and confidentially and confidently for the answer. He knows God will give it to him. A servant prays and is given wisdom and direction. These men were unclean according to their law because they had touched a dead body, but they wanted to participate in Passover. And when Moses prays to God about it, he gets so many more answers that he even knew to ask about. These are new instructions here that God's going to give Moses. They address the problem of everyone not participating. So first of all, he says, well, those who are ceremonially unclean or those who are on a journey during a Passover, they can wait a month and then they can take the Passover. Then God gives a command regarding those who are clean and who are in the camp but refuse to celebrate the Passover. He says they are to be excommunicated from Israel and that probably meant their death. Because they were not a part of God's people in their hearts. They were not a part of Israel in their hearts, and so they were not a part of God. They were refusing to bring the sacrifice of a lamb to God during the Passover. What about strangers and sojourners that maybe joined up with the nation of Israel? God said they were welcome to celebrate, According to its statutes, and that would have meant their conversion to Israel's faith in God through circumcision. So Moses' prayer to God offered Moses great guidance on his journey to the promised land. And that is what God wants to do for us on our journey to the promised land. We have prayer He wants to be our guide. He wants to give us direction. When we face obstacles on our faith journey, he's ready to be our loving guide. We just have to practice prayer. You know, it was so fun. Just a few days ago, I came back from a reunion um, in Springfield, Illinois. And every two years, eight of my best friends from actually starting in elementary school Middle school and high school, we get together every two years, and we've been doing it. This was our 20th year celebration. It's so awesome. And they all love the Lord. And I was sitting at a table looking at my best friend, Nancy, uh, who I first met 50 years ago. And I was remembering that I was a new student in a school, uh, didn't really know many people, and you know how in middle school, you're sort of figuring out these kids are gonna get in trouble one day. (laughs) These kids are maybe kind of going down a brighter path. And I remember thinking, I wanna go down the brighter path. I want a friend who's gonna help me go down a more godly path. And so Nancy was there and I didn't know her and she was totally fun, but I could tell she was on that path. And I remember going home and saying to God, couldn't Nancy be my best friend? And he answered that prayer. She's blessed me for 50 years. And I looked at Nancy in Springfield, Illinois, across the table just two days ago and said, Nancy, remember I prayed you would be my best friend. And she said, I'm so glad. Then I started crying. (laughs) Not just because of what that meant in my life to have her as a friend, but the sweetness of God. Just answering that kind of a prayer. Why do we try to tackle life apart from God? When we have a question, we can be like Moses. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to ask God to give me wisdom about that. It's available to everyone who calls upon him for direction. You know, Moses had wisdom beyond his human ability through prayer. And so can we. Moses received instructions on how to build a tabernacle through prayer. We get to receive instructions on how to build our life through prayer. And like the tabernacle, our lives can be filled with the very presence of our glorious God. And then we get to wave to God and say, here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Help me be your servant. Let me pray. Father, thank you for who you are, who you want to be in our lives. I pray we would be reminded of that all this week. We would turn to you and celebrate you, walk with you, listen to you, that you may receive the glory due you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.